0: So a few weeks ago, I was sitting at Starbucks in Uh, Alvarado. It's my favorite place to go and prepare a sermon uh, because it's it's quiet, fairly quiet. It's it's quieter than most Starbucks, and it's bigger than most Starbucks. So I can kind of go into a little corner, uh, put on my headphones, uh, listen to whatever, uh, which is my sermon on Luke, and I'm just playing, but listen to some music or something, uh, and uh, allow God to. To get with me for a focused time, uninterrupted, to sit down and and work on on sermon material. So I was doing that, and I looked at the battery uh, on my screen on my uh, MacBook, and it was below fifty percent, which is not a huge deal. Those of you have laptops, you're used to that. But then I got thinking, wait a minute, it was higher than that earlier, and I haven't plugged in. Suddenly, I began to get a little worried. So I made sure that I was still plugged in. I was still plugged in. Uh, I made sure that it wasn't like one of the Starbucks, you know, plug-ins, and so I moved to a different one, plugged it back in, still nothing happened with the charger. So I began to get a little worried. I uh, finished what I could, saved what I had, uh, came back to the church, went into Jared's office, he and I have basically the same computer. I asked if I could borrow his power supply for a second. I plugged in, and it started working. I thought the power supply was actually charging the computer. So then I realized the problem. Right? My power supply, my battery charger to my MacBook was broken. Now that's not a huge deal, but that's kind of a deal, right? Those of you who work with computers or do a lot of data entry or like maybe you're building word documents all the time, most of what I do, like during the week, takes place with the aid of a computer. Whether it's writing a sermon, putting together a Bible study for Wednesday night, uh, you know, doing our social media stuff, managing our website, all the different things that we do uh, to planning future events, everything, calendar, email, all of that takes place because I have computer working. So when I realized that it wasn't working uh, and that it wasn't charging, I knew I had to do something about it immediately because if I didn't, my computer would be rendered useless and nobody wants a useless computer that costs a bunch of money. And so I immediately went to where well, I called them first to make sure they had it, uh, the Apple Store uh, in University in Fort Worth made sure they had what I needed, went and got it. They were really quick about it. They actually had it ready before I got there, which was awesome. Very unlike them to be so quick. Uh, But they made it happen quickly, got back, everything was fine. But if you've ever been in that situation, you know if you have anything that you have, like stuff on it that you need, especially electronic, you start to get worried when it's about to crash or when it's about to die or when when part of it stops working and suddenly you're left without that thing that's been such a usual part of your life. It's that way with any technological device in our world today. You've got to have power, right? All of the things that I do with my MacBook, all the things that I do with this iPad, they are made possible because a charger directs energy into the computer and it stores in a battery there. And I'm able to use that power, that energy, to be able to do what I need it to do. But if I don't go back to the charger every so often... It eventually becomes worthless. It dies. The battery runs out. It doesn't work like it's supposed to anymore. There's no power left in it. Again, it's that way with any device that we have today. There's a spiritual truth in there as well. Maybe, just maybe, there's some of you in the room this morning that feel like or have felt like at some point in your life that you've been off your spiritual charger a little bit too long. And I get an amen from anybody on that one. You know how if you have a smartphone, it'll give you the, the, the warning. You've got 20% power left. You've got 10% power left. And, and my iPhone gives me that warning. You want to go into low power mode, right? It gives you that option. Does anybody ever feel like your body or your spirit is warning you in a similar way? 20% left, buddy. You need to do something. You need to do it quick. You might want to go into low power mode so you can reserve things because you know you don't have very much energy or very much spiritual energy left. And a lot of times we keep going, anyway, because we don't listen to our bodies. We aren't watching for those signs. We immediately hit cancel or or ignore on the 20% warning and we just keep pressing on and then suddenly we find ourselves with 2% battery life left. Suddenly we find ourselves feeling like if we don't do something quick, everything's about to stop and I'm going to be stuck or I'm going to be left completely powerless or completely energyless and so we don't know what to do in those situations because we don't spend time on the charger. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Making sure that we spend time abiding in Christ. Spend time on our, to put the metaphor this way, our spiritual charging station. I know that's a little hokey, but go with me for just a second. Because our power is limited. God's is infinite. Ours isn't. A lot of times we act like we have infinite power in the world. And when I say infinite power, it mean that we can just keep going and going and going. And energize money, right? the energizer batteries run out of juice every now and then. There is no such thing... On this side of God, outside of the personhood of God, uh, of, there is no such thing as unlimited power. Even though we try to act like we can live in that world. That we get feeling worn out and we just keep pushing. Because we just think, well, just a little bit more, we'll be able to rest just a little bit more. And we'll be able to go to God and refuel and abide in him. And we just keep pushing instead of stopping, taking stock of things and realizing that maybe we need to spend a little extra time on the charger. Maybe we need to spend a little bit more extra time in God. And so this morning as we close out our series that we're calling Everyday Love, and when we're looking at how to maintain a day-to-day passionate relationship with God, a couple of weeks ago we started by talking about how we can repent and return, that we turn our back on, on, on our sinful ways, especially particular sins that might be doing a great deal of separation between us and God. We turn our back on those and we pursue god we repent and return and then last week we talked about how we love god with everything that we have with every part of our life we looked at the great commandment to love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind with everything that we have there's nothing that we hold back from god and even within that if we do all of those things repent and return try to give everything that we have to god if we do all of those things within our own power we're still going to fail You can do really good things on your own power and still mess up miserably. Because at some point you're going to come to the end of yourself. And you're going to realize that you don't have the power to make this thing happen on your own. And you need someone else's assistance. And this is kind of the heart of where we've been headed the last few weeks. To abide in Christ. To maintain that everyday passionate relationship with Jesus Christ, the Lord of our universe. John chapter 15 records Jesus speaking about these words of abiding, and we're going to couch it around uh, three points, mainly, or three ideas, to abide, recharge, and bear fruit. Abide, recharge, and bear fruit. Let's pray together before we open Scripture. Father, once again, we thank you for this morning, and God, we thank you for your presence here through your Spirit. Lord, I pray that your Spirit would fall on each of us this morning. God, that you would remove distractions and clutter from our minds so that we might focus on your word, your spirit, and what you have to teach us this morning. And God, embed that through your spirit into our spirit so deeply that it changes the way that we live. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Again, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1, this is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus speaks these words to his disciples, his followers, not very long before he is crucified. We have the words of comfort in John 14 of him telling them that a comforter, the Holy Spirit is coming after him in his stead to care for them after he is physically removed from their presence. It's kind of continuing the thought here in John 15. He knows that his physical removal from their presence is imminent. He's about to be crucified, resurrected, go, go ascend into heaven, and after that happens, physically they are going to be without him. and so he is giving them already a charge on how to abide in him despite the lack of his physical presence. A charge that continues on in our world today. That we don't have the physical Jesus with us, but through his spirit, we can continue to abide in him just as Jesus calls us to in this passage. Jesus begins by calling himself the true vine, one of the many I am statements in the Gospel of John. Now, this language, this metaphor of the vine, it's not new to scripture. It's not new to the Jewish world. Uh, in the Old Testament, the Jews, Israel itself was often referred to as a vine, but it was usually referred to, Psalm 80 is an example, it is usually referred to as a vine that doesn't bear proper fruit, as a vine that, that, is, that is in danger of being cut off and thrown into the fire and much of the prophetic material. And so Jesus comes in and he says, unlike Israel, unlike humanity as a whole, I am the true vine. He adds that qualifier on I am the true. by the actual direct connection with God and all that flows from him, Jesus is showing himself to be that individual, that connection that all of us have with the God of the universe. In verse 14, or in chapter 14, Jesus says in another I am statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the way for us, the only way to truly live is to remain connected to Jesus. To remain connected to this vine. And so if Jesus is the vine, the source of life, the connection to God, we are the branches, Jesus says. In the abiding that he talks about, if we abide in him, he will abide in us. That is a conditional statement that Jesus repeats over and over again in his 11 verses. If you abide in me, I will abide in you just like I abide in the Father and he abides in me. But it's, again, it's conditional. There's an if there. It's not as if God is saying, I really don't want to abide with you, or Jesus is, or I will abide with you if you make me. No, he is offering this to us freely and wants to abide in us, but in order for us to live in that relationship, we must choose to abide in him. So what does that word mean, abide? That's not a word we use a ton in our culture, that idea of abiding. To abide essentially means to consistently abide. Surround yourself with the presence of Christ through his Holy Spirit to consistently, to make it a habitual practice, spend time in the presence of the Lord. Surrounding yourself with Christ's presence, living in obedience to his words and commands just as Jesus spoke. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Actually making time in our days, time in our world to spend time in the presence of God through Jesus Christ. This is our choice as the vines, as the branches of the vines, that we choose to abide in him which gives life, because if not, if we don't choose to abide, eventually we run out of energy. Eventually we come again to the end of ourselves, and we realize at the end of ourselves that we are powerless in ourselves, and we wither away, as Jesus would put the metaphor, we are cut off, wither away, and are thrown into the fire. This is what happens with dead vines. Vine branches aren't strong enough to build anything. As a matter of fact, even a peg made from vines wouldn't be strong enough to hang something on. The only thing that a dead vine was good for was, again, to fuel a fire. That's it. A dead vine certainly can't produce fruit on its own. That means that any fruit we produce, any spiritual fruit we produce apart from a relationship with God, all on our own, is just a lie. It's not really fruit. It just appears that way. To put it another way, some of you may be familiar with this idea. Any fruit we produce apart from Jesus is purely decorative. Just like that plastic fruit on your grandmother's table, you know what I'm talking about? You know those grapes that you probably popped in your mouth when you were a little kid? I did that once. Found out they weren't they were a little more chewy than normal grapes, and they certainly didn't bring any flavor or sustenance or anything else that grapes are supposed to do. You know, when I when I consider the state of church in America in 2018, I sometimes wonder if we're not a lot like that fake fruit sitting on a table. That everything from the outside looks good. Because that's the whole point of the fake fruit, right? To give the appearance of a bountiful table, of a bountiful home, feast. Give Give the appearance that you will be well fed here. To give the appearance that this is a home that produces. To give the appearance of, 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 of just being calm. You know, anytime, you know how it is to be in grandma's house and, and the comfort that comes over you, to give that appearance of being warm and welcoming. But if you start getting closer, you begin to realize that a lot of that is plastic. You begin to realize that a lot of that in the Christian world is posing. We want to appear to bear fruit, but actually bearing fruit, that takes work, like we'll talk about here in a minute. Because if you get close enough, you might realize there's a little scratch that shows the styrofoam that makes that fruit. You know what I'm talking about, right? I on the bananas, if you put a little scratch in it, you can see the white shining forth that says, "Hey, I'm fake." I sometimes wonder if when the world looks at us, if they see the same thing. Well, we we, we want to be fruitful. We want to appear fruitful, but we're so busy in our own. We're so busy doing our own thing apart from God that we produce some awfully good-looking fruit that does nothing to satisfy. I wonder sometimes if that's where we are in the world as Christians today. But as the bonds, again, we can choose to bear bear proper fruit. We can choose to be in the presence of God. Because he is the vine, we are the branches, and God the Father is the vine dresser. Now, the Greek word there is not a huge, important word, but it's basically the word for farmers. So I know a lot of people in this part of the world can identify. I grew up in cotton farms. Uh, I know that, that the people who do that take great pride uh, in what they raise and, and, and that it takes work. That you have to go in and you have to apply fertilizer. You have to apply herbicide or insecticide. you got to make sure that um, the, the bull weevils aren't taking, taking over things. We did that in the 90s with a bovine eradication program, and we, we do all of this work, and we spend money, and we spend time making sure that the crops are taken care of, God plays that role in this metaphor. He is the vine dresser. He is the farmer. He is the one looking over the relationship between the vine and the branches, and the one who comes in and does the work, a work that Jesus calls pruning. Something that sounds benign on its surface, but deeper than that, it's beneficial, but also potentially painful. Because the vine that bears no fruit is not pruned, it's cut off and burned up in the fire, and it never actually abides in Jesus and is eternally separated from God. We certainly don't want that. Instead, we want to be pruned by God so that we might bear more and proper fruit. Again, the idea of abide and recharge, this is where we come to the idea of recharging. Because when God prunes us, he makes sure that all the parts of the tree, all the parts of of us which are unnecessary which are getting in the way that he prunes them back so they can fill us with new energy and direction. Again, Jesus is using primarily the vine, a grapevine, as an example, but let's think about a fruit tree. Anybody who's ever done any kind of work with any fruit trees or anything like that, you know that pruning is an essential part of making the fruit not only plentiful, but more acceptable, tastier, bigger. All of those things that go with pruning. A fruit tree is pruned to make sure all parts of the tree get adequate sunlight. To make sure that there's no outgrowth at the top, like new growth that's really bushy that, that keeps light from getting to the other parts of the tree. And so if you talk to somebody that's an expert, which is not me, but if you talk to somebody that's an expert on that, you know that you've got to have proper spacing within the branches so that light gets everywhere that it's supposed to. So that the light can get to the bottom of the tree and not just the top of the tree so that it can all be stimulated to produce the kind of fruit that the tree ought to produce. The fruit tree is also pruned so that new limbs, new, new growth, new limbs that are very thin at the end are pruned back so that they might in the end become stronger. Think of a pecan tree. You see a pecan tree that's not pruned, which you're going to see, you see a lot of in this part of the world, right? We have one right over here by our house. When it begins to have a lot of fruit on the end of the limbs, it'll bend down, it'll sag, and eventually, if it gets heavy enough, if there's enough fruit, it'll break. Sometimes... God prunes back like he does with the sunlight. God prunes us back so the sunlight can get to the whole part. God prunes us back spiritually so that we don't forget about certain elements of our life and just focus on some of the others. Don't just focus on the new stuff. Don't just focus on the fun stuff. But God gets to every part of our life and prunes us back and reminds us of those things we might be ignoring or forgetting. And the same way with the fruit becoming too heavy. Maybe, just maybe, God sometimes prunes you back forces you to take a step back because he knows structurally, like spiritually, you're not ready to bear the kind of fruit that you think you're ready to bear yet. You're not ready for that load of responsibility that you think you are. Now, you might be fully confident in yourself that you can go out there and bear this huge bushel of fruit. But what happens if you go out there and you try to do that and you bend and you bend and you bend because you're just not strong enough yet and eventually you break? At that point, you're cut off and you're thrown into the fire. That's not what anybody wants. Right. If you're being pruned by God, it might be painful, but it is being beneficial. It might cause you to step back. It might cause you to say, I need to work more before I'm ready for this level of responsibility. I need to take care of myself before I extend myself into this ministry or into this uh, into this certain area of life. I need to make sure that God is working on me and making sure that I'm strong as well. So a fruit tree is pruned to make sure the energy of the tree, I've I, I read a lot of stuff online, I don't know half of it, things about hormones. I didn't know trees had hormones, it blew my mind, but evidently they do, and there's a lot that happens where if you prune, it allows the, correct, the hormones to stay in the right balance for growth to happen all over the tree instead of just in the new growth, and God is pruning us back to make sure that certain elements, certain parts of our life don't get left out. Now pruning, again, what I'm talking about is cutting off limbs. It's cutting back growth. That doesn't sound fun, does it? That doesn't sound enjoyable. I don't even like cutting my fingernails. Even that's going painful. I can't imagine cutting back that much of myself. But this is what Jesus is suggesting God, the vine dresser, the farmer does. is Sometimes he allows pain to enter our life. So that it might be for our betterment in the long run. The momentary pain of pruning shields us from the lasting pain of separation from God. If you find yourself in a season where you're being pruned or humbled by God, when He's allowing something to happen in your life, and maybe the direct cause of something in your life that is maybe bringing you down a notch or two, and you feel like, wow, God, are you letting this happen? Let me give you a little encouragement. It's better to be pruned than it is to be cut off and thrown into the fire. It's better to be loved by a God who is willing to love toughly than it is to remove yourself from the love of God. You do this with your children sometimes. If you want them to be prepared for life, you make certain things difficult. You don't always help them the way that they want to be helped. You allow them to suffer a little. Not a bunch. You allow them to suffer a little so that in the end they might be made stronger. God sometimes does the same with us. Abiding with God sometimes means abiding through pain. Pain that comes from circumstance. Pain that comes from others around you. Pain that comes again directly from God that he uses sometimes for our benefit. It's just like the momentary pain momentary yet very intense pain that you feel when you have an open gash on your person and you put alcohol on it you want to heal the cut right you want to make sure that it doesn't get overly infected and so you inflict pain upon yourself so that you may protect yourself from pain down the road god spiritually does the same thing to us as well or let's talk in a less physical idea you know that that The conversations you sometimes have to have with people that you never want to have. The DTR conversations to find the relationship. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? You know, when when someone says, I need to talk or we need to talk, nobody likes that lead-in to any conversation. I don't know any pleasant conversation in my life that has ever started with, we need to talk. Hey, I want to give you a million dollars. That never happens, right? Never happened to me anyway. If it's happened to you, God bless you. But usually that means that something is amiss and we need to get on the same page, brother. You know, we need to sit down and we need to work through this. We need to talk. Now, I kind of jokingly said that nothing good has ever come of those, but actually a lot of good has come from those conversations in my life. Because those, those difficult conversations have sometimes been the most important part of, a, of a God acting healing in my life. Or God bringing healing in a relationship those difficult conversations. So just like you have to have those conversations sometimes, as painful and as difficult as they may be, God sometimes comes and allows or inflicts pain into our lives so that he might use that to bring us to abide in him and in the end bear much fruit. We abide and we recharge when we spend time with God. And finally, the result of all of that is we bear fruit. Pruning allows us to bear more and better fruit. An adequately pruned tree will be smaller, but it will also produce larger, sweeter, and better fruit, more fruit. In other words, a pruned tree is a more efficient tree. A pruned Christian is a more efficient Christian. We're not going 500,000 different directions on our own power. We are living in directly the sweet spot where God wants us according to his power and not our own. And if we live within God's power and he produces the fruit of love and joy and peace and all of the different fruits of the spirit If he produces the fruit of, of witnessing and obedience and being a light to the, to the to the world being the salt and light to the world that is in need of both things if he does that within us we bear that fruit we live in the purpose for which god created us and when we do that as john or as jesus says in verse 11 These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. A tool is most effective when you use it for what it's designed for, right? Like, if you need, if you have toast and you want to spread some butter on it, you use a butter knife, right? But you don't use that butter knife to cut up steak, am I right? You're going to get frustrated if you do. And if you take the steak knife and you use it to put butter on your toast, you're going to scratch up the toast and it's going to be all gnarled and your kid isn't going to eat it. Trust me. I know, right? You know, too. You use the tool for what it's created for. And us in the same way. God created us, as we talked about last week, the great commandment, to love God and to love people. To love him with everything that we are. And to love our neighbors as ourselves. To make disciples of all nations. Teaching them everything that God has taught us. This is what God has called us to. To do, And when we live in that purpose, when we love God with everything that we have and we abide in God and spend time with him and he uses us, the bond dresser prunes us in such a way that we, through our connection with the vine, are able to produce adequate, good fruit that makes a difference in the world, that brings us the fruit of joy in the end. Joy is the fruit of abiding obedience. Anybody who's ever farmed any kind of food crop, you, you, you taste it, don't you, before you just sell it away? You know, I'm not maybe large scale if you're doing it for some corporation or something, you might not, but if you've ever grown something at home, even if you sell it, you keep some for yourself, even, even cattle rangers out there. You might sell a lot of your cattle away, but you're probably going to have one cow that you slaughter for yourself and that you keep in the freezer. You're going to partake... Of your own fruit. That's something that we often, and I say this from personal experience, that we often fail to do in the Christian world. Is that we produce fruit left and right. Sometimes on our own power. Hopefully with God's power in the end. and, And we're looking to produce fruit for the betterment of our church. We're looking to produce fruit so that we can share that and benefit the people that we work with. We're looking to produce fruit so that we can, we can be the father or the mother or the husband or wife that we need to be so that we can serve those around us at home. We're looking to produce fruit so that we can be a, you know, a change agent in the world and make a difference in our society for the better. We're looking to produce fruit to help a friend who is in need or, or to minister to someone who has struggled with the same kind of struggle that we have. We're, we're looking to produce fruit for all of those things and then we don't ever stop and taste the fruit. Uh, We don't ever stop and actually enjoy what God is doing in us. We don't abide in the God who is using us to produce fruit. We just give it all away, right? I'm I'm for everybody else's purpose. I'm not going to stop and actually enjoy what God is doing in my life. The fruit of joy is is the part of the fruit, the part of the crop that the farmer keeps for himself and gets to enjoy. And that's what all of us can do as well. Stop just worrying about production, Stop just thinking that God wants to use you as some tool in the world so that he can enact his will. No, God wants to abide in you and you in him. He wants you to enjoy the fruit that he is preparing in you, not just for others, but also for yourself. Again, I wonder sometimes how we look to the rest of the world if we're going around producing fruit and saying, man, you should have this fruit. It's awesome. It's life-changing. And they look at us and they say, how does it taste? We say, I don't have any idea. I'm going to stop and take the time to taste this fruit. This Jesus is the most amazing thing in the world. I wish I could tell you that he was awesome to spend time with him, but I don't ever spend time with him. But you should. The world is going to reject our fruit. It's like I don't trust a cook that doesn't taste his own cooking. Amen? I don't trust someone that works in the kitchen and does all of this and says, you should taste this steak. It's the best steak ever. Oh, yeah? What does it taste like? Steak, I guess. I don't know. I haven't ever tasted it. I don't trust somebody in that position. And the world is going to look at us, and they're going to hear us saying all these awesome things about Jesus Christ, while in the end, we are shipping out all the fruit. We're exporting everything, and we're not taking time to enjoy anything. And they're going to say, Is it really as good as you think it is? As you say it is? You're not even living enjoyment of it yourself. Why in the world would I taste it? If we are going to produce and share the fruit that Jesus is putting within us, it's going to happen first because we are abiding in Him. We are spending time in Him and we are enjoying the fruit of our own relationship with Him we're not doing that we might as well stop everything else abide in jesus christ abide recharge and bear fruit abide again that means to consistently (laughs) spend time in the presence of the lord this is one of those things we can't it's easy to make it too hard abide means to abide like just jesus says what he means (laughs) spend time with him uh, there's no big secret there. It's something that we encourage you to do often. And I encourage myself to do often. We often fail it. To make time and spend time with the Lord of the universe. The one who gave himself for you. To take the time to abide in his presence. Be a student of scripture. Read it devotionally. Read it with family. Do things like we're doing through our home connection center too. Abide together as a family. Or with those that you love. Memorize scripture together. Pray without ceasing. Make, make, set aside a daily time of prayer. But don't stop there. Allow it to become part of, of what you do. Uh, if, you're, if you're on your way to a meeting that you know is going to be difficult, be praying about that meeting. Be praying for the people that are in it if you're on your way to deal with a salesperson and you're about to deal with a customer that you know just doesn't like you for whatever reason, pray for that individual as you're on your way. Pray for that appointment. Pray for an opportunity to share the love of Christ. If you're about to have one of those DTR define the relationship talks with somebody and you know things could go south, pray about it before it happens. Even if it's just a few seconds before you walk through the doorway to have the conversation. Take a minute. Even as things are happening around you, be willing to call on the name of Jesus to pray without ceasing. Jesus even says within this passage, and it's something that we often so cynically pass away, when he says, As the, if you abide in me and I abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Now, our immediate response to that scripture, and I have taught it this way many times, but I'm beginning to rethink it. Our immediate response to that scripture is, well, remember, Jesus says, you've got to pray this in my name. Now, we don't even forget that. That's absolutely important pray in the name of Jesus. But what we usually mean when we say that is, I'm worried that God isn't going to answer my prayer or answer your prayer. And so let me get God off the hook for you. Let me make it a little easier on God and say that what he's really talking about is not the desires of your heart, but about your religious duty, about how you can share Christ with other people. He's not so worried about a little fight you had with your wife or your husband. That's not what he's talking about. He's not so worried about a financial issue that you're having or a debt that you can't seem to get from under, out from under. He, he's talking about, you know, are you are you spreading his word? So if we pray that God would enable us to do that, that's what it means to pray in His name. And we can be so cynical that we don't, we stop thinking that God actually cares about His creation, that the vine doesn't care about the branches anymore. And the only thing he wants to do with the branches is to make sure that they give fruit to other people. Abiding in God means coming before God as a child. It means coming before him and just laying it out. Owning everything that you are, every desire of your heart, and offering that up to him. And saying, Daddy, I don't know what I need, but I trust you. Here's what's on my heart. Can you please do something? That's what it means to abide in Christ. You trust when he doesn't answer the way you want him to. You trust anyway, but you lay it all out there and you abide in him. Let me suggest a book for those of you who enjoy reading. I've been, I say reading, I've been listening to it. I'm more of an audio book guy lately. It's been really helpful, uh, but it's a book called The Praying Life. And in this book, the author, Paul Miller, I think is his name. I could be getting that wrong though. It's is a common name and I'll usually forget common names. You have to forgive me, but A Praying Life is the name of it. And in this book, he talks about this very thing about how we are so cynical in our prayer lives that we've stopped like, just conversing with God like children. That, that we've stopped telling him, man Lord, my spouse is driving me crazy. Can you, can you help me out with this? Or, or God, I, I can't seem to help my kid get over this issue. Can you, can you just help me out with this? Or, or Lord, this, this, this thing at work or at school this homework, I can't seem to get past this one problem as if God is so aloof and so uncaring that he's too busy. We think that a lot, don't we? Oh, God's got other things to do. I don't want to bother him with my homework that's struggling, that I'm, that's like crushing me. Students, I know you've been there. That it's math or it's English or whatever it is that's killing you. That you just get to the point where you're like, I'm stupid. I can't do this. And you get so down on yourself. And such, so much of the Christian world has told you that's not a big deal to God. You need to be praying about other things. Hush those voices in your mind and realize that if it's a big deal to you, you need to take to God. Amen? You need to abide in him and be willing to let him speak into every area, every single area of your life. Pray without ceasing. Abide. Recharge. Allow God to refuel your power supply, to cut away the parts that he needs to cut away, to prune as painful as it may be so that he might make you stronger in the long run and then bear fruit. When you abide in Christ, the fruit will naturally come. He will use you exactly for what you're made to be, which is a creature who abides in him, who enjoys the fruit of his presence, and who produces and shares that fruit with others. And then, again, one last encouragement. Enjoy the fruit. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Don't get so busy.